Our sermon this, for this morning is based on Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 20, the, the story of the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel of our risen Lord. You may be seated. Peace Lutheran Church, I have to confess something to you. Every single day, I use things in my life that I know almost nothing about. And I suspect that you are in a similar situation to me. I'll give you some examples from the morning. This morning, I reached over, and when my alarm went off on my my iPhone, I clicked alarm off. But I have no idea how my iPhone works. If you took my iPhone apart and tried and asked me to put it back together, I would have absolutely no idea how to do that. If you told me to tell you how an iPhone works internally, I would have absolutely no idea what to tell you. But I use it every single day. I got in my car and came to church. I don't really know how internal combustion engines work. I have an idea. I Googled it. I have an idea. But if you gave me all of the parts to an engine and said, here, put it together, no chance. No chance I would be able to put together a car. No way I would have been able to come up with the idea for a car. I would have been completely lost. You can imagine then my shock when I saw the the check engine was flashing on Jamie and I's way back from vacation. And all of a sudden I became even more aware of the fact that I really don't know how to put together or fix an engine. But I use it. Think about it. There is something that you use every single day that I think a lot of us know profoundly little about. Our brains. Every single day it is in overdrive, working constantly. And we don't even think it's there. We don't even notice that it exists. And we definitely couldn't tell you how it works. In fact, many scientists understand a lot about the brain, but even they will tell you that they don't totally understand how their brain works. And yet they use it. Perhaps you can see where I'm I'm going with this. God reveals himself to us in this, this, this Trinitarian, this triune way. And I think a lot of us stand back and we scratch our heads and we go, Ooh, I don't think I really get that. Be assured, peace. It's okay. But also know that if you thought that, oh, it's Trinity Sunday, and so when I stand up and walk out the doors, I'm going to have a perfect, total comprehension of how God works, how the Godhead who is all-powerful, all-wise, all-present, I am going to understand perfectly and completely how that works. If you think that that's how this service ends, I'm sorry, but you're going to be disappointed. We have a God that's beyond us, that is so far beyond us, and yet he gives us these morsels, these little bits of knowledge and wisdom that tell us who he is. 
Tell us what he's all about. Tell us what he is doing. No, we don't see that word Trinity really anywhere in Scripture, do we? The word triune, Trinity, none none of that ever comes up. But perhaps, perhaps the clearest place in which we see it is when in Matthew, Jesus commissions his church and he tells those disciples, you are going to go and you are going to baptize and you are going to use this name of God for it. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we might not totally, completely understand how the Trinity works, but we hear it clearly testified to by our Lord Jesus. I would guess, especially for a lot of you that have been attending Christian churches your entire life, that at no point was it ever up for discussion whether God the Father was truly God, right? Nobody ever called into question whether the Father, God himself, was, was, was actually God. In fact, that's kind of how everybody sees God, right? They see the, the old man with the white beard and, and, and maybe the creator and the one that governs the world and, and the stars that are in motion and the, the planets that, that spin around the sun, So yeah, we've got that out of the way. Nobody's going to question whether or not the Father is truly God. But have you heard some questions about Jesus? Have you heard some questions about whether or not the Holy Spirit is God? Well, let's ask ourselves for a second. Would it be appropriate for Jesus to say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Would it be appropriate for him to use those two names, the Son and the Holy Spirit, in the same breath as God the Father if they were not truly God? No, there are those that'll, that'll say that the, the Holy Spirit is just some, some sort of impersonal, ambiguous life force. Something that God projects, but, but we, we really can't say exactly what it is. And, and so it's a little bit lower than God. The way Jesus talks about it doesn't make the Holy Spirit sound lower than God. No, he is God. And perhaps maybe you've heard this a little bit more in your life. That Jesus wasn't God at all. Good teacher, absolutely. Nice guy, totally. But God? God becoming man, that, that, that sounds bizarre. Impossible. And some people will even actually say that Jesus never claimed to be God. And yet, what do we have right here as Jesus is just about to leave his disciples in this last chapter of Matthew? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Clearly based on the words of Jesus He is true God. Yes, the the Trinity is a very real concept. Difficult to understand? Absolutely. But what I want us to realize is that if we lose any part of that, that Trinity, if we lose any person, if we say God the Father is not really that important, or if we say God the Holy Spirit is not really that important, or God the Son is not really that important, then we lose it in its entirety. I want to go back to, to Genesis chapter 1 because I think in there we, we see a really cool 
a really cool wink and a nod towards the Trinity as, as God creates the world. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering above the surface of the water. Here we see just in those first few verses that the Holy Spirit is truly present. And then just, just in, in verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image. God the Father is the one speaking, but he does so in a way that is plural. He says, let us make mankind in our image. No, maybe it doesn't say, see, God in three persons, boom, right there, told you so. But what it does do is way back from the beginning in Genesis, it testifies to the fact that God is far more complicated and complex than I think a lot of people realize. Yes, Jesus was truly there at the beginning, participating in the creative acts. It says in, in the first chapter of John that all things came to be through him. I think a lot of us think of the creation just happening with God the Father standing there and putting this in place and that in place and that in place. But instead, the Holy Spirit and Christ the Son of God in some mind-blowing way a way that will never fit into this brain while it's here on earth. They were present there too. Look at the work of the sun. Does the sun work by himself completely, completely separate from the Father and the Holy Spirit? Listen to the way that Acts chapter 10 verse 38 talks about Jesus. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Father anoints Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Does it sound like Jesus was working by himself and of his own accord? Absolutely not. As he was working out our salvation and winning for us redemption, it's the full Godhead, the Holy Trinity, working for you. And then the Holy Spirit, that's the one that I think a lot of people think, well, the Holy Spirit works kind of off in the corner by himself while God the Father and God the Son are, are doing their own thing. But instead, we read in John chapter 14, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Does it sound like the Holy Spirit works by himself? No, in some way, the Holy Spirit is working with God the Father and God the Son in order to hold the church together, to build the church, to strengthen each and every single one of us in our daily lives. Are you confused yet? Yeah. And maybe, maybe you hear all of these these things, and, and we kind of keep throwing these words back and forth and saying that they're all participating, but they're still all distinct. And you go, this doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I don't, I don't really know what I'm supposed to make of it. So instead of trying to just understand the whole thing and how it works together, let's just trust what God says about himself. Sometimes we hear the, those words that, that Jesus spoke on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we scratch our head and go, but he is God. How could God the Father forsake him? Or we, we, we hear about the Father sending the Spirit and, and we think of, of these, these persons of the Trinity as, as distinct and yet, yet it sounds like they're interchangeable sometimes and yet we're told that they're not interchangeable. Please know, brothers and sisters, 
every person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has unique and distinct work that they carry out for you. As Jesus is wrapping up his discourse, as he's getting done talking to the disciples, commissioning them to, 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 to baptize all nations, he, he tells them this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you've heard me explain all of the, the cool things that God has done, that he has created, that he's redeemed you, that he sustains you. And then he says, I'm with you. And you would think that a triune God that sounds that powerful, that unsearchable, that unthinkably massive, you would think that God would have a huge impact in your life. But there are those moments, aren't there? Where you hear Jesus say, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when he says I, he means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's those moments in your life where you say, I do not understand how the Father who created me could have done this to me. He has created me wrong. He set my life up wrong. He's put the wrong people in my life. How on earth could this God have created me like this? How could that be perfect? We rebel against the Father. Or, or the Son tells us, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age, and you assume that with that is going to come that, that freedom that salvation brings. Jesus brings to us personal grace, and he says, you are free from sin, guilt, and shame. But it doesn't always feel that way. And Jesus says, surely I'm with you always. I am with you always with my grace to the very end of the age. And you go, but it doesn't feel that way. If you did your job, Jesus, if you kept up your end of the bargain, I wouldn't feel shame or guilt or sadness or fear over my sin anymore. Or we look at the job that the Holy Spirit says that he will do, and he says that he will pull together his church, and he will strengthen his people, and he will be with you right there fighting for your very soul every day of your life. Does it always feel like he's bringing together the church? We look around and, and we see sinful human beings corrupt churches and, and tear them apart. And we go, it seems like, Holy Spirit, you have not accomplished what you have said you were going to. The Trinity says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And we as sinful human beings so often shake our head and go, it's not good enough. It's those thoughts that separate us from God. It's those thoughts that, that throw up a wall between him and us. And it's those thoughts, those feelings, that should send us to hell forever. When I was at the seminary, uh, we, had a, we had a baptismal font at the seminary in our, in our chapel, although I was there for four years, and at no point did I ever see anybody get baptized in the baptismal font, not at the seminary. And there was a really cool, cool aspect of it. It was actually by the doors so that you would always have to walk by it on your way in. And what's more, it was actually kind of a fountain. Like it wasn't like a gushing, flowing fountain or anything like that, but there was a, a slow trickle off the sides so that you could just hear it kind of slapping the water below. 
and there would be those moments like, like the one that we just had. As you are hearing your sin spoken to you from the preacher that day, and you are feeling guilty, and you are feeling crushed, and you are feeling broken, and you are feeling like there is no way out, and that God, the triune God, could have no love for you in his heart anymore. And then the preacher would be quiet for like two seconds. And all you would hear is the trickle of the baptismal font. That water overflowing. And in that moment, in that still small moment, you would be reminded that you are a baptized child of God. And that being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is far more than any type of commitment to you. In fact, it goes the other way. It is God's commitment to you, not your commitment to him. Yes, being baptized in that name, in the name of that God, that God whose power is absolute, whose love is relentless, and his unity is, is liberating. That's the God that we've all been baptized into. That's why we don't put this away even when we're not baptizing children. Because every single Sunday when you walk in here, I want you to be able to see the baptismal font and know that you have been called the child of the triune God. And that because you are his child, no sin, no guilt, no shame, no corruption, no destruction can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most beautiful, beautiful parts of coming to church. Paul ends his second letter to the Corinthians by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We experience all of those things every time we come into church. We experience the grace of our Lord Jesus when, when we get to announce forgiveness and say that we are forgiven of our sins. We experience the grace of God every single time we hear what he's done for us on the cross. We experience the love of God every single time we are able to come to him in prayer in this building. As God the Father, who has no reason to do so other than the blood of his Son, stoops down and turns his ear to this church and says, I will hear your prayers. I will take them to heart and I will act on every single one of them according to my will. We experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in these walls as we encourage one another through the songs and the spiritual, uh, the spiritual hymns that we sing. As we pray together, as we say the creed together, we get to lift up and build one another up in this dear, dear fellowship that has been, been given to us through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the triune God has not stopped acting. And so, yeah, it's okay. I don't totally understand how we can have one God, three persons. How, how, how one of those persons can be no less than, than one of the other ones, but it's true. Because God can't be lesser than God. And maybe, maybe you don't totally understand how, how, we can, how we can express that to other people. But we know that we wouldn't minimize any person in the Trinity. 
Because we need a creator. We need a savior. And we need that spirit that walks with us every step of the way throughout this treacherous life of ours. It's enough to know your God as he has revealed himself to you. And don't worry. All of those tens, hundreds, thousands of questions about the Trinity that go through your head every single time we talk about it, they'll be answered when you are face-to-face with your Lord Jesus and get to see the Trinity in its total and utter fullness. Until then, we get to be content with those beautiful truths that that Trinity reveals to us about himself. Amen.